0: Welcome to the Littler Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. Conversations related to the human resource challenges of an ever-evolving workforce. Welcome to Episode 5 of my Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Podcast Series, Your Diversity and Inclusion Toolkit. My name is Elisha Asgard-Dotson, and I am a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant and a shareholder with Littler Mendelssohn, the largest management side labor and employment law practice in the world. As you know, I often invite one of Littler's wise legal practitioners to share some time with me so that we can collectively delve into a facet of the diversity, equity and inclusion space. However, today, I want to pause that practice and address some nuts and bolts issues with you. Because DE&I is as much a business decision as a personal decision for employers, I'm often asked what quantifiable success in this space looks like. And my answer is, because I'm a lawyer, it depends. But of course, you're in the right place to ask that question, and it depends is not where I will leave you. Success really does depend on what kind of an organization I am working with, because a win for a small employer in the DE&I space might look quite different from success for a multinational corporation in the very same space. Nevertheless, let's generally unpack some of the legally acceptable ways in which success in the de space can be quantified and others where employers should walk with caution. First, I think we are amongst friends here, and we can all acknowledge that we love metrics. Numbers are the name of the game in corporate America, and it sure is tempting to turn math loose at all questions that need answering. Why then shouldn't we do the same here? Well, we can, but with caution, because it is almost impossible to know where you want to go or grow in the D-E-N-I space without knowing where you are right now. Employers can reach out to firms such as Littler to conduct a privileged audit of the company's recruitment and retention practices, as well as EEO-1-related benchmarking audits the information that you garner from this analysis could include a variety of data points, including reviewing availability of women and minorities in the relevant recruiting area for the applicable positions, and comparing that data with the percentage of minorities and women who were actually hired. You could also review the applicant pool and compare that information with the hiring rates of minorities and women applicants. Employers could use these audits to review the success rate of minorities and women applicants at various stages in the hiring process to decide if there are any stages in the process in which these applicants are disproportionately screened out during the recruiting, interviewing, or perhaps the hiring process. We could even analyze how successful your company's internal pipeline is in fostering diversity not just in the ranks of incoming employees or applicants but all the way up the leadership chain to the c-suite by the way the question of whether and how much of this resulting data an employer should share with either its own workforce or the public in general is a nuanced analysis that will involve many internal and external stakeholders. In some cases, socially conscious investors are demanding access to this data. Despite these pressures, this release of information should be approached with thought and precision, and it will absolutely require the input of counsel but in other news just what does an employer even one that does not release the information do with all this delicious data in other words if you as an employer have decided through your privileged audit that you lack diversity in any arena Can you not simply set a quota to hire or promote a fixed percentage of individuals to certain roles by a certain date, based on race, gender, sexual orientation, and just forge ahead with a focus on resolving this issue? The answer is a loud and resounding no. The law is not a fan of rigid quotas that an employer fixes for itself and mandates that its employees achieve. This is because all employment-based decisions must be based on employment-related, business-related criteria. Where a hiring manager or a supervisor has a quota imposed on them, they might instead decide based on a protected characteristic, race, gender, sex, any of the others, and with a focus on achieving that mandated quota. That would be illegal. This is also why I caution against building diversity quotas or explicit diversity targets into executive compensation or even into executive performance evaluation. On the other hand, it would be perfectly acceptable to recognize an executive's or a supervisor's efforts within the company's diversity, equity, and inclusion program, and even in the DE&I space within the community when you are considering their performance evaluation. For example, executives and your supervisors They can be evaluated based on how they mentor, sponsor and otherwise develop diverse talent. But they should not be evaluated based on the number of diverse employees they hire, that they retain or that they promote. It is also perfectly legal for your privileged audit results to inform aspirational goals for an organization. But employers must be careful not to turn their goals into quotas by assigning fixed numbers to them. So a company might set a goal to hire more African-American or Black employees for its executive positions. But that very same company cannot and should not require that African-American employees or Black employees be offered 20% of those jobs. Ultimately, employers are best served by not getting bogged down by their numbers. Instead, through education, demonstrating leadership buy-in, and using recruitment and retention best practices, an employer can improve the diversity and inclusivity within its pipeline without once using the percentage symbol. I think a better use of those privileged audit results is as a sort of internal check. Periodic privileged follow-up audits of hiring practices, such as quarterly, semi-annual, or even annual updates should be considered to identify problem areas and or maybe evaluate whether the company is meeting its objectives over the course of time. There's another metric that doesn't often come to mind, but that could also provide insights about the health of a company's diversity, equity, and inclusion program. And this would be the proliferation of a company's employee resource groups and the number of participants within them. You might also want to analyze the number and of course the quality of activities that these employee resource groups are participating in to ensure the events that the ERGs organize continue to grow and flourish even during the pandemic and beyond. If you have not heard me mention employee engagement surveys or diversity surveys as an avenue to gather DEI data, it is because I am as much of an employment defense litigator as a DEI consultant. Reach out to me if you are contemplating such a route, and we can discuss this further. If you have a unique reason, tradition, or perhaps investor demand that makes such a survey a necessity to your organization, we can work delicately through the ways in which that survey can be chiseled to make it work for you, but regardless of which avenue you take, involve counsel in the decision-making and creation of any such survey. Well, we have spent another fun episode tackling the ways in which you can measure your DE&I successes and evaluate your unique road ahead. If you have any more questions about these issues or anything else in the de and space, don't hesitate to shoot me an email or give me a phone call. We will continue to unbox and demystify other diversity equity and inclusion concepts in future podcasts so stay tuned thanks for listening the purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations it is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment related issue To discover other Labor and Employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.